seems like over the past nine months that I have uh, had the privilege to help several families lay their loved ones to rest. God says that precious is the death of his saints in his eyes. And there was a portion of scripture that God took me to. And uh, as of late, I've had the Holy Spirit just kind of dealing with me and just some things that maybe others have said. And I just felt like that I really need to share some stuff with you this morning. I I, I think that uh, it would be a grave mistake by me to only wait for a funeral before I talk to you about death. Uh, So we're going to go to Ecclesiastes this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 4. And then I'm going to read the verse, the first portion of verse 8, 8a to you this morning. I'm going to read out the New Living Translation. You can follow me on the screen. Or you can follow me out of your hard copy, your smart devices, whatever you desire to do. But Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 4, and verse 8a. A good reputation is more valuable than the most expensive perfume. In the same way, the day you die is better than the day you were born. It is better to spend your time at funerals than at parties, for you are going to die. And you should think about it while there is still time. Sorrow is better than laughter, for sadness has a refining influence on us. The heart of a wise man is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasures or pleasure. A wise person thinks much about death, while the fool thinks only about having a good time now. And that first portion of verse 8, finishing is better than starting. Now, these may sound like dark words, but they contain profound wisdom. People deny death, they refuse to face it, and are reluctant to attend funerals. I don't know of anybody, including myself, that really enjoys attending a funeral. You see, we often view life as God's greatest gift. And we regard death as the worst that could happen. Most people avoid thinking about death. Yet the writer of our text says they are better off spending some time at funerals because they need a reality check. Anybody ever do a reality check every once in a while? Just kind of take some inventory of your life and what's going on. You see, the Bible says that there is value in suffering and sorrow. Think about that. We learn more from difficult times than happy times. 
I'm learning a lot right now. (laughs) I'm going for my master's. No, I'm going for my doctorates on this one. If we view death with the eyes of faith, we see that death is the best of all possible events. Because the life, this life, is just a mere rehearsal. We're just practicing for the life to come. Heaven is real and it is glorious. And this is why the day of our departure is better than the day of our birth. My intention today is not to depress anyone. I assure you, I'm not out to ruin your day today. But I share this reality not as a doomsayer, but as a loving pastor. Because when we have an awareness of death, we will be inspired to live. When we have an awareness of death, we will be inspired to live. In the 7 and 1, the first part of verse 1 here, there's a play on words in the text. It says, a good reputation is better than the most expensive perfume, or with me, cologne. With you, Richard, cologne. You don't wear perfume, do you, Richard? Okay. (laughs) Though perfume may help us be attractive, a good reputation is better. The character of one's reputation is more valuable and enduring than the sin of perfume. A good man can live beyond the grave, but the sin of perfume doesn't last. It's temporary. I remember preparing, and it was kind of ironic because I was at, just happened to be at a funeral, and I was signing the guest book, and a young man came in while I was standing there at the guest book signing it, and he said, man, you smell good. Uh, he said, what is that, 212? And I said, yeah. I said, uh, my uh, children keep me up to date on the latest fad fashions and cologne. And uh, I walked away from there knowing what I was going to be speaking, and I thought, because I had known this young man for quite some time. He had been a part of the church at one time and had now moved on in his life and really struggling with some stuff. And I thought to myself, I hope my name and my character, the reputation that I have displayed and lived before this young man, I hope it lasts longer than the scent that was displayed by my cologne. And that should be our attitude. That should be our thought as we live out our life. Solomon concludes verse 1 by saying, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. There are two days in our lives where our name is prominent. The day we receive our name at birth and the day our name appears in the obituary column. What happens between those two days determines whether our name is a lovely ointment or a foul stench. 
You see, Solomon here, the preacher, is not buying into the philosophy of despair. If that were true, he wouldn't tell us eight times in this book to enjoy life. 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 Eight times the preacher tells us enjoy life. Ecclesiastes says that we must neither be hesitant to talk about death nor scoff about it. Rather, we should talk about it forthrightly, straightforward, for it is the inevitable prospect we all face, and its effects are going to be devastating if we are unprepared. Have you ever noticed the way that we mark a person's lifespan? We will write the person's name, and then below that name will be something like 1939 to 2013. We will list the year of birth, then we list the year of death. Between the two is what? A dash. Solomon would probably agree that life is a quick dash between birth and death. It's just a vapor. It's there, and then it's gone. And all we ever do on earth, all the influence we ever garden, all the reputation that we ever build is summarized in a simple line between one year and another. It's not much time to serve the Lord, but it's plenty of time to make a huge mess of things. The old saying that it's not the days in our life that matters, but the life in your days. It's not the days in your life that matters. It's the life in your days. And this is what the writer is talking about in his rather disturbing comment, that the day you die is better than the day you were born. Because if you do die with a good reputation as is promoted in the previous breath of the writer, then you have died fulfilling all of the potentiality of your birth. How awesome is that? You have left this world having made an impact on the lives of other people and having lived well in the sight of God. Isn't that what it's about? That is living a good life. And that's what death challenges us to do. Death challenges us not to die, but to live. Solomon continues on with his wise words in verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, because that is the end of every man. And the living takes it to heart. Solomon suggests that we would be better off going to a funeral than a party. If we had the choice to go to a funeral or a birthday party, before this word this morning, I think 100% of us would be at that birthday party. But after this word, 
I'm believing God's word. Hey, I need to attend some more funerals. Just not my own. (laughs) The reason he gives is that death is the end of every man. That's the reason he gives for this. Death is the end of every man. Frankly speaking, there is more reality at an open grave than at a birthday party. There is more reality in the face of death than at a feast. Both happened on the ship Titanic. Life on board the Titanic was a party until an iceberg got in the way. There's a true story told in this regard. A wealthy woman found her place in a lifeboat that was about to be lowered into the icy North Atlantic. She suddenly thought of something that she needed, so she asked permission to return to her cabin before they lowered the boats. She was granted three minutes or the boat would leave without her. She ran through the gambling room with all the money that had rolled to one side ankle deep. She ran through it. She came to her cabin and quickly pushed aside her diamond rings and expensive bracelets and necklaces. And she reached to the shelf above her bed and grabbed three small oranges and made her way back to the lifeboat. Now that seems incredible because 30 minutes earlier she would not have chosen a whole crate of oranges for the smallest diamond in her possession but you see death had boarded the titanic and had instantly transformed all values instantaneously priceless things had become worthless and worthless things had become priceless and in that moment she preferred three small oranges over a whole crate of diamonds Death gives you that sort of wisdom. What will really be important when you lie on your deathbed? What will really be important when you lie on your deathbed? Rather than pursue empty pleasures and seek a comfortable life, we need to pursue holiness and seek God. If we reach the end of our days with faith and a good reputation, it shows that we know the true value of things. This body is not a home. It's more like a hotel, a place where we dwell only briefly. Solomon continues in verse 3 and 4, and he writes, Sorrow is better than laughter, for when a face is sad, a heart may be happy. The mind of the wise is in the house of mourning, while the mind of fools is in the house of pleasure. Although most of us would prefer laughter and pleasure, Solomon informs us, that there are benefits to sorrow and mourning. This life is full of sadness and sorrow. Yet life's difficulties have the potential to awaken the spiritual dimension in us. Sorrow makes us think about life, its meanings, and our priorities. A party rarely does that. Sorrow and sufferings often brings one to God, while pleasure seldom does that. Even these sad times give us hope, peace, and strength. For there is a mellowing 
and a maturing that takes place in affliction and sorrow that cannot be attained any other way. Wow, what wisdom God had given to Solomon. What words of truth and life is being poured into us this morning. Solomon is not condemning happiness. Don't don't, don't misinterpret what the writer is saying. God is not, through Solomon, condemning happiness. It's just the opposite. He is advocating an appropriate peace and contentment that is not based on temporal circumstances alone. Can you just imagine reading your own obituary? Alfred Nobel had that opportunity. Around the turn of the 20th century, Nobel's brother passed away. Alfred picked up the morning paper the next day to see what was written about his brother and was stunned to discover that it was his own obituary. The paper mistakenly mistakenly printed that Alfred had died, describing him as the inventor of dynamite. Nobel realized the legacy he was leaving was associated with death and destruction. Wow. Alfred had a second chance to rewrite his legacy. With input from friends, he decided to invest some of his wealth to honor those who furthered the cause of peace in the world. Today, many know Nobel invented dynamite. But he is better known for another of his creations, the Nobel Peace Prize. God is good at giving second chances. I think each and every one of us in this house this morning is getting a second chance. You see, you are going to leave a legacy. Your life will have a lasting impact. God has given you the capacity to think carefully about what will be left in the wake of your life and to live intentionally, to leave behind something eternally worthwhile. I want to challenge you this morning to create a eulogy that you would like offered at your funeral. First, write up your present eulogy. And at this point in my life, what would my wife say about me? What would my kids say about me? My coworkers, my neighbors, or most importantly, God. And then, when you're through with that, write up a future eulogy. By God's grace, this is what my eulogy might ideally say. During World War II, the Japanese attacked Allied forces using kamikaze pilots. This will be interesting, Scott. We got any other military men in the house? Just lift your hands. Uh, my dad, anybody else got two? I think it would be in order to just 
give these men some thanks for serving their country. We have the freedom today to enter this building and do what we are doing because of these two and many, 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 many others that have, are, and will serve. These pilots who believed in the Shinto philosophy of honorable death in battle would commit suicide by flying their bomb-laden planes into allied sea targets. A television documentary showed the kamikaze pilots as they climbed into their planes. Once they were situated, workers would permanently seal the cockpits closed prior to their departure. Permanently seal the cockpits closed prior to their leaving. Mm. The planes were given only enough fuel for a one-way journey to the ship and to their target. The fate of the kamikaze pilots were sealed before they left the ground. Their fate was sealed before they ever left the ground. It's hard not to wonder what must have been going through their mind. These young soldiers, what were they thinking? Certainly they must have thought about what was going to happen to them, but I can imagine that they bravely shut out the inkling of death from their minds, choosing instead to focus on the mission at hand. How closely this seems to parallel with my life and our life. We are, in a sense, cosmikazes too. Our being has been permanently sealed inside our bodies. And we've only been given enough fuel to make it a hundred years or so, if we're blessed. Death awaits us all. But we, perhaps like kamikaze pilots, choose not to think about it, but rather dismiss it. And we focus on the mission at hand, the big project at work, our vacation plans for next month, or in my case, tomorrow. The term paper due on Tuesday. So many things on our minds. We really haven't time to think about death. And besides, who wants to think about it anyways? Failing to think about death usually means failing to think about life. And I want to close and leave this with you in the first portion of verse 8 there. Finishing is better than starting. Finishing is better than starting. This is a good quote to apply to life. Begin with the end in mind. Begin with the end in mind. The preacher now seemingly advanced in years has reflected back in Ecclesiastes all that he has done. And at the end of the day, the preacher says, the end 
is better than the beginning. The comparison talks about what one puts into a task. And likewise, the results of that task. He's saying that generally speaking, when one sets out to do something, he or she invests much time working towards a goal. And for that reason, the goal, when obtained, is most certainly better than when one started towards that goal. For Jesus, the beginning task was not easy, but it end result was glory. For the Christian, life is full of challenges, but the Christian is called to run with perseverance. That is not to take shortcuts and enduring hardships. At the end of the race, one will be rewarded for his or her faithfulness. The reward comes at the end of the race, not during the race, not before the race, but at the end of the race. Christians should heed the words of the preacher. No, the end is better than the beginning. Would you just bow your heads with me in this place for a moment?